Instead, in Intersecting Realities of Truth and Television, Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu is a scathing and hilarious commentary on the racism, invisibility, and erasure of Asians in American history and Hollywood. The story takes place in the Golden Palace restaurant, featured in the procedural cop show Black and White. Willis Wu plays generic Asian man, but is gunning for the coveted kung fu guy role. He wrestles with making an attempt to sacrifice his dignity to be seen by white America or be seen by his family. I'm Denny. And I'm Veronica. Stay tuned as we review the award-winning novel, Interior Chinatown. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzy'sbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. Welcome back to Vulgar Jeans' podcast. My name is Denny. And I'm Veronica. Welcome to our January pick of the month. It's Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. He is the National Book Award winner for 2020. Yes, he is. It's a very interesting book. But before we do all of that, we have, um, you know, some little, little things to tell you before we start our podcast. Tomorrow is Inauguration Day. Yes. Well, by the time you've gotten around to listening to our podcast... We have a new president! We will have a new president, President Joseph Biden Jr. and Vice President Kamala Harris. And the White House has been disinfected from all the COVID. I hope so. (laughs) Well, no, because he's still there. Oh, that's right. He won't leave... Until the 20th, which is tomorrow for us right now, in your past, who's listening. But anyway, yeah, so I hope they scrub that thing down. It really, because normally what would happen is, he would, normally, if he was like a real man, would have brought him into the White House. And they would have had a whole discussion and all like how Barack Obama did for him. Yeah, but unfortunately, I would not want to go in there. I'm sure they don't want to go in there. So I don't know where they're going to end up. Hopefully they go to the hotel, <laughs> a special hotel for them yeah. until they get that place. Yeah, because by, by, by tomorrow, he is the president and she is Madame Vice President. Yes, yes. So both their houses, the president's house and the vice president's house, I hope they get doused and bleached. <laughs> And maybe, you know, let's just go ahead and just set everything on fire and then just (laughs) redecorate. Maybe have some of those HGTV people come and redo everything. Yes. For the sake of safety. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'm I'm excited about that happening. And then uh, we have some good news. So uh, if you've been following us, Disha Filia, who was on our podcast not too long ago, um, if you were listening, we asked her if her book, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, was going to be picked up by anybody, if it was being shopped around. Yeah, by a series, companies. And she's like, oh, I can't really talk about it right now. <laughs> she was being very nice, but to me that was enough to hear that something was happening. Yes. 
and like literally right after that um that conversation the following week she announced that her show got picked up by uh tessa thompson or her book got picked up by tessa thompson uh to be on hbo so they're currently writing a pilot for that yes that's really big i think she's gonna blow up she's gonna be like the next Celeste Ng, like for Hulu. Yeah. But she's also writing her screenplay. So um, she will not only be maybe like the next Celeste Ng, but also the next Shonda Rhimes. True. Cross fingers. Because she, when she, when she wrote her novel, you can almost look, it almost looked like the characters are moving. Like it's already a show. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh man, to be picked up by HBO. It's got to be something, because I remember when she was talking on the live uh, with one of the bookstagrammers, they were asking, like, will will the book, will the the show go along the lines of exactly how the book is written? Mm -hmm. But she's, you know, playing with the stories, and it's a possibility that some of our favorite characters will actually meet. So maybe Olivia and JL will actually meet. Who knows? You know what? Who knows? But, you know, it's up to her. Whatever she wants to do with it. She made it. She mm-hmm. made that world. So, more power to her. Yeah. And I hopefully she would be on for 75 seasons. You know, like Friends. <laughs> or like Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> we shall see. We need that long-running series. Because Insecure is about to end their run. I'm so sad. But... You know, if Insecure leaves this after this fifth season and then we get Church Ladies next year, I'll be happy. Oh, yeah. It'll fill the void. <laughs> Definitely fill the void. Um, I guess it's time for us to also, like, announce our, our, our book of the month for next month. Yes. Next month is February. It's Black History Month. And we're coming with the big guts. <laughs> <laughs> we're coming strong, y'all. Y'all better get ready. Y'all have no idea what's about to happen in the month of February. It's going to go down. Um, but we, our, our book of the month, our adult book of the month is Black Book. Black Buck. Fuck. Black Buck. <laughs> Excuse our French. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just so excited that I just can't keep my words straight. <laughs> but yeah, Black Buck. And um, that by is written by Mateo Ascrapore. Yes. And um, so Mateo Ascrapore, if you've been following the news, he just hit the New York Times bestselling list mm-hmm. this uh, past week. Uh, we're excited about that. Congratulations to him. Yes, that's a big deal. That's his debut novel. And he used to work in sales. So his novel is kind of like a glimpse of what it what it is for a black man or a person of color to be in those types of spaces. Yeah. And it's funny, it's it's antagonizing <laughs> in a good way. Because you're gonna be if you're if you are my a minority or a person of color, you'd be like it's so cathartic. That that that's how I felt when I read it. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you if you've been living on a rock, you come out of that rock. Go to your nearest bookstore and pick up Black Buck. We also want you uh, to pick up. Um, another book, which is our YA book of the month, yes. and that is called "Yesterday Is History" by Kosako Jackson. Um, he is um, an LGBTQ writer, 
um, he has written other, you know, pieces before, but this is his first, like, full-fledged novel that has been published that you can see everywhere. Um, this is a very interesting novel, too. It talks about, um, a boy that is gay, and he has cancer, and he, rece he received a new liver from this family, and this liver is attached to them being time travelers. Yeah, so that's pretty cool to be able to find a book that uses time travel in this way. Um, it's rare that you can find science fiction that re uh, that deals with people of color, so um, we're excited to uh, talk about that one with you all. So stay tuned. Y'all go and, and check out um, your your local library, yep, your bookshop. Yesterday is history and black book. Yes. Well, how are you doing with your New Year's resolutions? <laughs> what was the resolutions? I know my resolution. <laughs> I remember that my res what resolutions. resolutions. What New Year? <laughs> <laughs> my resolution was for me to actually read the books that I have checked out from the library on my phone, like the ebooks, and not keep rechecking them out mm -hmm. so other people cannot have access to them mm -hmm. um that has been going poorly <laughs> for me i had I, I think i allowed uh, the library to take back a couple of books just because i was just too tired to renew them and i decided girl it's time to let go let just go let go but um i did renew one um, this morning because I just got to feed the habit, so. I haven't borrowed anything from the library. You haven't borrowed? Oh, because you've been doing all the NetGalley stuff. Yeah, but still, I, 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 I can go in the library and be, you know, be a little fucked up and be like, borrow, 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 borrow. <laughs> but I didn't, because I'm like, you know what? My plate is full, and I have a lot that I need to read. Yeah. So, And I have an addiction problem, so we're going to keep checking them out. So I'm just gonna keep on, you know, checking out the books like I normally do, and um, we'll see what <laughs> happens. Who knows? Who knows what will get read this year? We'll never know. <laughs> I mean, I know the required reading, our assignments, <laughs> our supplemental reads. You hate those that will word. get those will get done, but you know, it's kind of like Russian roulette. You know, Whatever. I go in there. Whatever you feel like reading for today. Yeah, I put somebody's name in. <laughs> this this cover looks pretty. Let me check it out. And then I just do like the the scroll every time I go through the apps. And I'm just like, look at this. Look at all these people I swipe right on. <laughs> but never actually doing something about it. <laughs> same, a, same thing. Not a damn thing. But uh, yeah, so let's let's just move on to the book that we did read. Yes, which nope. is Interior Chinatown. This book is is very different. It is extremely different, but in a very good way. Yes. Um, it is written as as kind of like a screenplay, almost like like biographical. It's it's I don't know how to describe it even further. Well, let's start with like just the format in itself to have written a book as a screenplay. Yeah, that is 
That is hard and genius. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has, he has, um, he's in the profession of writing screenplays. So I'm sure that part was easy for him, but this craft, the story that he crafted, it was one I'm sure that took a lot of thinking on how can I get people to stay interested in a story that's written this way. It's almost kind of like, is this real life? Mm -hmm. What am I reading? Like, a person's story am i in a show am i is this nonfiction? like because mm-hmm. when you started the book you were like i don't really know what's going on like how is this thing written and i never physically saw the book with my eyes because mm-hmm. i i did the book by audio mm-hmm. um which is also good yeah it was really it was whoever Shout out to them. I need to find out who did the audio book for that one because he did the voices and you know how uh, I just finished a, an audio book and sometimes you can have people who are, you can tell, are trying really hard to do <laughs> other voices where this one, it felt so easy, those shifts. Um, and these, this, um, this story has, a, you know, a multitude of characters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody know, like, an Asian man have different, have different, have different voices. We don't all sound the same, okay? (laughs) But, um, the format of this book was ingenious. I love, I love that he decided to go the route of writing it as a screenplay. Yeah, because it makes it a fun, a fun read, a Mm -hmm. quick read. You can probably finish this book in like two days, mm-hmm, three mm-hmm. days, you know, if you're busy or something. Um, and it, I think, drives the point very well. Or maybe he just does it in a really good way. Um, and you have different characters, which is essential to like an Asian family living in the United States. You have the dad, the mom, him and his older brother. You have the other people that are in is in the United States in real life, which mm-hmm. is, you know, white Americans and black Americans, and then the little yellow people like me. Because <laughs> you know, for if you, if you've not read this book, this book basically follows um, Willis Willis Wu Willis Wu, who Action in the very <laughs> very beginning is trying to become um, the next. Kung Fu guy. Kung Fu guy. Because that's like the hierarchy for him in his mind. He thinks that that is the peak of where he needs to be. The peak of Asianness. Right. So, <laughs> and it's set in this gen- very generic setting of Chinatown. Mm-hmm. And um, what I think is awesome when it comes to creating a screenplay in general is that it takes a lot of work. And if you're really willing to do it, of presenting somebody with a story, especially if it's like in a historical type context Mm -hmm. or a real-world context, and having to do research on like, okay, if I'm going to call it Interior Chinatown, what will that connotation mean for the Mm -hmm. story? And him choosing to go with the Chinatown theme of, you know, if if you've done the research and know the history, America is racist. Yeah. FYI, if you if you've not known, <laughs> yeah. breaking news. Do, 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 America is racist. So, 
for America in the relationship to Chinatown as we see when you're going to places like San Francisco or Washington, D.C. or New York City, mm-hmm. that um, those places were not just established because, you know, Chinese people just so happened to want to live there. Yes. You know, in the mid-1800s, you're talking about um, a designated place that only they could live. They could not live outside of the parameters in which uh, was set for them by the government. And so essentially these are, you know, it's ref- it's, they're referred to as Chinatown, which is essentially a ghetto, right? So you have a person who has certain physical features that is designated to <laughs> live in a certain area. Um, you know, that's exactly what they did during that time. Yeah, and it's it's so nice to see. Not nice to see, but he he basically put that in order in his book. Like, mm-hmm. he would tell you that I'm not making this shit up. You know, I'm like, because that would always be the defense. Like, people think, you know, that we're not being fair to immigrants. No, bitch. Like, you made laws for it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's not a hidden secret that it's in, it's just in the 1800s when this was like initiated that oh this group of people should just live in this in this setting and then this is what we would call the ghetto mm-hmm. but the people and also Chinatown because people here are mostly Chinese but everybody that is Asian is called Chinese in this country mm-hmm. most of the time anyway mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so but he he detailed that in there and he put it in some sort of way that oh you know it like the story kind of ended like in a trial between man versus himself, man versus the American people, and it is so so ingenious how she like how he did how he did that and how it came about. Yeah, I I uh, I just finished watching him give a book talk, and in it he was talking about how he decided to use this format of like a screenplay because essentially what we get about the knowledge of ourselves and other people we get a lot from the things that we watch on television mm-hmm. which is true cuz you know a lot of the things that i learned about that my parents were unwilling maybe not necessarily unwilling but they just never talked to me about mm-hmm. were things that i had gained from watching television and trying to sort out like does this make sense? Is this real? Does mm. it, you know, apply to me? Does mm-hmm. it apply to me as a uh, as a black person? Does it apply to me as a female? And so on and so forth. Mm. So, you know, he was saying that that's where we get not only how we see ourselves, but how we see other, other people. people. And for the longest time, like Asian people have been typecasted into this like role of like you are the you are the funny the funny person. Even up to now, mm-hmm. Asians can only be seen as comedians ugly you're not really like sexy hot and mm-hmm. and when you're like in school you have to be like the smart one like you can't be dumb shout out to claudia kishi mm-hmm. that you know is fashion forward but you can't be any of those things you have to have to this like stereotype for the american people to accept you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you're like and you know like you're having to not only do quote unquote do those things for people to accept you but you're doing those things or not necessarily doing those just being who you are knowing that these people will never see you as truly being American yeah regardless of the fact if you were born in Kansas City 
the whitest city on earth. You would never be seen as an American simply because you look different. Yeah, and he made he made that point very very much so in this book that he was like what does what does Willis Wu want? Willis Wu just wanted to be seen as equal. Mm -hmm. But he has no place in this world of black and white that he would always be that guy in the poster faded to the background. Mm -hmm. Um and people people in this country won't really see him as an American. Why? Because are we too too confusing? Are we too complicated? Or it's just easy to neglect that that face mm -hmm. to neglect that form of, I guess, culture. I want to speak on how we know that the main character's name is Willis, mm -hmm. right? But there's there are long periods of time where we don't hear that name. Oh yeah, and it felt as if we are we are viewing the story from his most most of the time through his perspective. Mm -hmm. But other he... times we might see it from his parents. Mm -hmm. uh, but mainly from his perspective. And even though we are seeing it through his perspective, and we know that he is generic Asian man. He calls himself generic Asian man. It is really <laughs> easy to forget he is also Willis. Mm -hmm. Like, this person has a full identity yeah. that, you know, that he could totally be in control of, but is choosing to go after this dream of being something something else yeah and i think the only people that called him his name in the story that charles you permitted mm -hmm. was his parents mm -hmm. his wife and that's it mm -hmm. um everybody else he's generic man generic asian man asian man chinese china man it's it's all stereotypes what do you think about the family dynamic that was presented in the book it is every Asian family in this country. <laughs> How so? <laughs> How so? Because, uh, like, they had, like, three generations, right? The first one was mom and dad that was from Taiwan. The second was him. And mm -hmm. the third one was Phoebe, the daughter. Um, and it's always the plight of the immigrant. You know, you're wanting to escape this country that is that has been under martial martial law for almost like 37 odd years mm -hmm. and your parents just wanted freedom from that country so where do you go to the most free country in the world according to the tv according to the newspapers america mm -hmm. so you go to america and when you come to america you you soon find out that even though you 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 move freely there are still a lot of restrictions on who you can be, what you can do, what you can acquire. And being and you striving to make something out of what you've what you've had right now because you always would be like, "Oh, you know, but in Taiwan I won't be able to do this, so maybe I should just cherish like working in this restaurant, mm -hmm. being a slave of the system." It's okay cuz back home, you know, there is war and I'm not free but here you are also a slave of this country mm -hmm. essentially and then you know you have a family and then you have this little baby and you strive your very best for this baby to be the most american out of all americans 
you don't teach them your language because when you want them to talk, you want them to sound American. So when they go to school, they don't get picked on. Mm-hmm. So when they when they navigate in the world, even though they look different, they don't act different, they don't sound different, they don't think different, which is also kind of sad because there's that instant separation from like parents to children. Mm-hmm. And that is what we saw in Willis and his parents. Like he, even though he loves his parents, there's that a lot of disconnect because to the parents they're like, oh, you would never understand the struggle how we got here, but. But to Willis, it's like, I just want you guys to be my parents. I just want I just want to kind of like, quote unquote, live a normal life with you guys. But because the hustle is real, they can't really have that. Because you have to be better than anybody else. Because you have to present this kind of like facade that even though you're an immigrant, you've strived the very best to be an American. So other people won't look at you as like, oh, you're stealing something that's not supposed to be yours. So you're like, no. I made something of myself. Mm. And then Willis is now in the struggle of like, what is it really making something for yourself is? That's the second type of, you know, the first, like the first generation Asian American born in this country. And then the third one is kind of like my son and kind of like Willis's um, daughter, Phoebe, which is kind of like, you know, we know this disparity between our parents and us. So we want to make sure that when we raise our own children, that they are very aware of what this disparity is, how you stand in this country, and maybe them can, maybe then they can truly be free of what it is to be an American, Asian American in this country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's so much. That's just the, like that's just the tip of the iceberg, and like going into customs and language and even profession or like dreams or what do you want to be when you grow up a lot of those things are still kind of like hard to process and he made it he made it apparent in the novel oh yeah for sure um i what i the relationship i think that i found the most interesting for me was between he and his wife soon to be ex-wife yeah right and him seeing this woman and him obviously being very attracted to this woman (laughs) and having the opportunity to establish a relationship and him thinking that he needed to be in a certain place that he needed to be if not equal over then not equal over over than where she was right so um he struggled with the success that she was having moving up in the world Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was this, like, blurred um, image of whether you are actually, like, what was happening is, were you in reality or were you in the show? Yes, this is where, this is where I'm like, what am I reading? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there, there could be that, that confusion of, like, what what is actually happening? And I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier about how Charles Yu is, like, well, we get our perception of who we are from television. Yeah. And so I think because that perception can also sometimes be a false perception. Correct. That, you know, for the character of Willis, he was he was driving himself into that that false perception mm-hmm. of who he should be 
as a man, period. Mm, as a man. Not a, as an Asian man. As a man. Not as a generic Asian man, not as Kung Fu guy, but just who he should be as a man. And he kept missing the mark. And when he was presented with someone who just wanted to be in a relationship with him mm-hmm. and, you know, not be concerned about all the other stuff. Uh, that he just he couldn't meet her where she was yeah and even though he tried you know in the very beginning it seemed like everything was okay and I think that was because he himself was climbing up the ladder Mm -hmm. of success that he was able to you know really truly give himself into the relationship but when the table started to turn and he saw that she was getting more calls to do more appearances and Mm -hmm. it was it was a problem for him. And when they found out that they were going to have the baby, his reaction was so flat. When I, cause I, <laughs> I listened to the whole thing. And when I got to that part, I was outside, I was walking with the, with the baby <laughs> and I had come around the corner and I just stopped because I was like, no, I didn't want that to happen. Like, mm-hmm. You know, I was really rooting for him and hoping that he would make the right choice. Mm-hmm. And when he was went silent, you already knew. Like, you're oh, like, oh, you done man, fucked up, man. This man is not with a program. Right. Because I think it also has something to do on, like, you know, being brought up. Like, his parents are, are separated. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, you know, his mom was like, we are better off separated than together. Because mm-hmm. I think that dynamic is not new to him. Because he knew that his dad wanted to be kung fu guy as well. And his mom also wanted to be to be more than just the pretty lady in the background. Mm-hmm. She wanted to be the star. Mm-hmm. But because none of them were able to fulfill those dreams, now it, it, it acted up. He acted up on himself to be like, oh, I have, I have to be something. I have to... I have to be I have to be better than him. I have to be I have to be it. Mm-hmm. But he didn't, you know, he didn't realize that in being it means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. And his it could have been that dad that's supporting his wife and kids. Mm-hmm. But instead he's on this, you know, cat and mouse race of like trying to prove something that nobody really wanted. And that also goes to show you that even though he has gone through this whole relationship with his father mm-hmm. of, you know, wanting to get the recognition of, you know, I'm your son. I want you to love me. They wouldn't show it. They, they, they wouldn't show it at all. <laughs> but like, you know, the wanting, the wanting of love and then him eventually having his own child mm-hmm. and then not being able to show at the very beginning the love that he he wanted for himself so badly. Yeah, because he was talking about the best days of my childhood was when my mom actually lost her job. Mm-hmm. And to him, it was like this, the perfect like six weeks of him just enjoying his mom, being at home, and like this protective presence everywhere around. I go in the house and we would cook together. She would make me stuff and like... To him, it was the best thing in life. And then even up to adulthood, he would look at those moments as his happiest. And then when he now has a child, he deprived of that, you know, he deprived his child of that experience. Mm-hmm. But 
you cannot give something to another person if you don't have it yourself. I think that it is because, you know, this goes back into kind of like talking about, you know, what are you choosing to break? What cycles you're choosing to break Mm -hmm. that that came up those generational cycles, right? That those patterns that aren't Mm -hmm. healthy. And even though he may not have come up with it, he knew that he lacked it. Yes. And so he had in his mind where he could go two places. He could either be like, well, I'm going to choose to continue to treat the child that I brought into the world as I was brought into the world. Or he could essentially be like, you know, I didn't get this when I was younger, Mm -hmm. so therefore I'm going to try my best to do the opposite of what my parents did. Yeah. And, you know, it's everything is like a learning situation, Mm -hmm. right? You know, sometimes you might not always have the tools, but if you could recognize what you lacked and you knew, you know, in your heart of hearts is that is what it is that you need in order for you to function Mm -hmm. and what the other person needs as well, Mm -hmm. then you can be able to go and do the work, which we eventually see him do Mm -hmm. towards the end where he acknowledges like, I got to be a father to my daughter. And I think that's the first time he introduced himself as his whole name. And he just goes by dad, no generic Asian man, no Chinaman, no kung fu guy Mm -hmm. just dad Mm -hmm. and it is it is you know the the life of like asian people we grew up with tough love you know communication is not our best asset um sharing our feelings is not our best asset and even in the book you know Willis was kind of like, you know, we don't say sorry, we don't say you don't say thank you to family because it's just what's expected of you. And I'm like, as an adult reading that, I'm like, that is so fucked up because then that means there's no conversation happening. Mm. If somebody made a mistake, there's no like, oh, what what happened here? There's no problem solving. Mm-hmm. That's probably why you know he ended up where he ended up because he didn't know that there was a problem from the very beginning. Right. So to him, the solution is non-existent. So it's it, there's a lot of flaws, you know, in in how we treat and love each other, but family would be family, and I think that's why when you migrate, you are presented with a different type of like environment, and then you see at some point like what we what we used to do back in the old country can now not work here because mm-hmm. we are also presented with other stereotypes typical problems and other things that will challenge us as a family and as a human being so not to us not to talk and be like together ain't gonna work anymore right let's pedal back and you know we've we've talked about the family dynamic and everything Mm -hmm. but what about you know our you know we spoke about it at the very beginning. The story is written as a screenplay, right? Mm-hmm. So not only are we looking into the lives of these characters that's being played out, but I think that it is an um, an interrogation into Hollywood and what they oh, yeah. have done Definitely. with the representation of Asian people in, in television and film. Yeah, Hollywood, film, TV, everything. Mm-hmm. Books, media. Because it's not only just, like, Will is trying to figure out who he is, but it is also uh, where Will is should be in relationship to, you know, where Hollywood 
mm-hmm. uh, doesn't want Willis to be, and that is yeah. to be the very first person to lead on the stage, the the the, the huge star. Yeah. Cause you know when we think about movies like Parasite or the 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 future movie that's coming out uh, with Steven Yeun, you know it's like Nine. here, mm-hmm. young. We're, what we're seeing is that. People were big mad that Parasite I had upset. won. Oh, like oh. they were, you know, there were people who were upset. Oh yeah, that's true. Because I'm you know, how one. could, <laughs> how could a a movie that is not in English win the biggest prize? And I love how how I think he re- responded that in his like little, you know, thank you speech. He said, "If you got, if you get over your fear of reading the subtitles." underneath like your tv or something if you just open up your mind to that there's a whole bigger world that you'll be able to see Mm -hmm. and i think that is his jab to all his his critics Mm -hmm. let's be like yo we can also write there's a whole other world on the other side of like this universe that exists Get over yourself. Mm-hmm. And not only another world that, that exists on the other side of the world, but a, a whole other world, a whole world that actually does live in the same world that we live oh, in. Oh, yes. Right? Because Parasite is, essentially, it is a South Korean movie. Mm-hmm. It is not an American movie. Nope. So, you know, for what it is that they did, was it was huge. Yes. But it was also in the perspective of South Koreans, mm-hmm. right? What would it look like for there to be a film that features an um, an American or is written in in for an American audience that features a leading man and woman who are Asian, i.e. Minari, <laughs> right, right. You know, I think the closest that we recently have gotten to that would probably before Minari would have been Crazy Rich Asian that yes. people first think about of like, mm-hmm. you know, it's been such a long time since we've gotten to this place where we where we've seen this play out. And um And it's kinda like the same narrative where like, you know, black movies don't sell. Exactly. But it is literally at, that narrative. But like look at Black Panther and then mm-hmm. look at Crazy Rich Asians, like mm-hmm. millions, billions of dollars brought into like Hollywood. By these Asian people. Yes. With, you know, un, unbashful and, like, just straight up, like, oh, yeah, this is, like, about Asian people. Mm-hmm. If you don't like it, then don't watch it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the dynamic of them using uh, black man, white woman, mm-hmm. you know, because the show was called Black and White. Yes. Uh, that he was on. So... We have different worlds that we're transcending in within yeah, and, this story. And it's it's not as confusing. The confusion is kind of like just, oh, it's an excitement for me. Because I'm like, oh, what, where is this going to take me? And But at the end of the day, you would you would realize that this is a, a screenplay kind of thing, but easily could be a nonfiction. And yet he wrote it in this ma- manner. And it's funny that you say it because you know what that reminds me of? Mm. If someone were to ask you, well, what is Interior Chinatown about? Mm-hmm. And you notice that you're having it, well, it's a screenplay, but it's in this, and it's this, and it's this. <laughs> and it's no different than if someone asked you, what is Lovecraft Country? Because then you're like, well, you it's, got um, aliens, and then you have, like, you know, civil rights, you know, and going on. And then Tulsa happened, <laughs> and then you 
flash back forward. And then there's, you know, this lady who gets put on a body of a white lady. It's like a lot of stuff that is intertwined in order to show racism, racism in America. That America is racist. <laughs> That's what it all boils down to. Yes, exactly. And things like this is for change, to change perception, to to enlighten for this is for enlightenment yes to reach that part and to have that understanding of what it is to be really american like what defines being an american is it your skin color is it your experience is it your race is it your money mm. is it what you can is it your education so there's a lot of questions and talking points and I think that's why this book won, because we love Disha. I have the highest, utmost respect for Disha, but I and you know her short stories are gonna be enjoyed for generations to come, and it's gonna be a wonderful show. And she's she's gonna make all the money, and she deserves all of it. But I think in in the time of twenty twenty where where we see radical change happening that is that has that had needed to happen I don't know eons ago but we're still dealing with the same bullshit I think Dear Chinatown kind of proved that you know Asian Americans also do exist we are not the model minority um we have we have the say in the world and we can't always be in the background because it's comfortable being in the background. Mm -hmm. And that's what Willis did. And that's why I think it's also an interrogation of self. Because mm -hmm. it's like, where do you want to put yourself in this new world, in this America that that your parents have come to? Do you just want to conform in what they want you to be? Or do you want to break away? Like, his older brother is a lawyer, successful. His wife got all the accolades and like was doing well for herself so where do you want to put yourself at mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so we got this story all laid out for y'all I just want to know like because it's not just it's not just your your run of the mill fiction, but it's also full of satire. It's a funny book. It's a very funny book. What would you say was like one of your one moment where you like found yourself like laughing out loud in this in this book? Um, I don't think I can say it as well as Charles Hugh did. So they were talking about being in a karaoke bar, which mm -hmm. is every Asian person loves a good karaoke, <laughs> i.e. me. So, he said, wait until the third hour when the drunk frat boys and gastropub waitresses with headshots all are all done with the Backstreet Boys and Alicia Keys. That is true. We love to sing Backstreet Boys and Alicia Keys. <laughs> Shout out to Charles Yu. And locate the slightly older Asian businessman standing patiently in line for his turn. His face warmly rouged on crown or Japanese slagger. And when he steps up and starts slaying country roads very famous try not to laugh or wink knowingly or clap a little too hard because by the time he gets 
to West Virginia, <laughs> Mountain Mama. You're going to be singing along, and by the time he's done, you might understand why a 77-year-old guy from a tiny island in the Taiwan Strait who's been in a foreign country for two-thirds of his life can nail a song, note perfect, about wanting to go home. Hmm. Why did that one make you laugh so much? Because it's so fucking true. <laughs> Every single time <laughs> they can sing their asses off, but the songs that they choose are off of that of like the old Western America, mm. what they would see back in back from wherever they came mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. And to them, that is what they thought America would be. And when they and they think that when they come here, it would all their problems would go away that it would be the easiest transition in life. But at the end of the day, if they would give in a choice, they would still want to come back to to where they came from, mm-hmm. to home, but just a little bit a little bit more well off, I guess. Not as not as poor, not as not as, you know, with more freedom, the country that from I guess because Taiwan was in had martial law, so they would want to leave all of that. If, if only Taiwan was not, you know, in their in their minds. If only Taiwan was not was not was not under that regime of martial law, maybe we didn't have to leave. So it's always going back. It's always wanting to see how the country's doing. Are are they better? Are they not better? Can I come back? Would I want to come back? Mm-hmm. That's always the question. Um, I think for me, one of the funniest parts in the book was when he has gotten the basically has gotten the job or somewhat wormed his way into the job mm-hmm. on black and white, and he's trying to help with the mystery. They're trying to figure out what happened to Kung Fu guy, older brother, mm-hmm. and they get into the restaurant and the some of the characters in the very beginning, his friends, mm-hmm. uh, one he goes up to because they want him to ask a question. Mm-hmm. And so he decides that he's going... He starts in English and they're trying to figure out why he's talking in English. Mm-hmm. So it's it has that point where they're kind of like... It feels as if they're saying, cut, why are you talking in English? <laughs> you know, you should be talking in Taiwanese. Like, let's go. Get, get with the picture. Fulfill that stereotype. Mm-hmm. So he's doesn't know the language and now he has to pretend as if he knows it and he's speaking gibberish and the friend that he is talking to is looking him looking at him like he's crazy trying to figure out like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> and then having to tell him like you know this is this is what's going on but when he answers him i think he answers him in english in in and he's like you know, having to tell him, like, look, just, you know, go with this. Go with the flow. But he doesn't want Play to. Play the part. <laughs> but I just thought that that interaction was, was hilarious to me, where he's like, all right, well, let me do this thing. Mm-hmm. And he's talking gibberish to the guy. Um, this book is very, very funny. And and even in that funny scene, you're kind of like, that happens in real life with Asian people. Mm. It's kind of like, do you do you just pretend, you know... Like, that you don't know, that you don't understand? Or do you actually say something and be like, no, man, that's, like, below the belt. Mm. That's actually, like, racist. Like, little things. Like, when you call people Oriental. Like, we're not rugs. We're Asian. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, little things like that. Or you just go along and, like, let it pass. Because you don't want to stir things. Yeah. Because when you stir up things, then the focus is on you. Can you handle it? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's sad. But it's true. It is true. What do you think about the the invisibility aspect? I think it's part choice and also because of America's racist. <laughs> well, mainly because America's racist. Yes, but also... But why do you say part choice? Because if you're Asian, you don't want to mess things up. You don't want conflict. You're not confrontational for the most part. Because you don't, you don't have that communication skill to argue. So you just want to kind of like lay low and not not participate. You just kind of want to do your thing and leave. You just want to earn that money, mm-hmm. right? Because you want to send that money to back home and you want to make something out of yourself. But what you fail to realize is like you live in a country where it's all about connection. It's all about like people. So you can't just build this empire by yourself. You mm-hmm. have to you have to have some sort of interaction. So the invisibility comes from there too because you know you just want to kind of live in your own world and not be bothered because you don't want to deal with all these folks because you know dealing with all these folks means dealing with all of their problems too and that's when racism comes in and you fail to realize like in order to succeed in this country you kind of have to play the game but do you want to play the game when you're always looked at as the losing one we're always looked at somebody in the background Mm -hmm. that you can never be the head of the company you can never you can never be like the star of the show you always have to be somebody else's you know right man yes which then makes me remember the the conversation that he has um when he gets killed off oh when he's like dead yeah so he becomes dead asian man and so dead asian man can't act for 45 days 45 days and so if anybody has ever you know, like auditioned for anything, um, and you're reading through um, like the audition roles and what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. One of the things is like they'll ask you, "Have you, if you ever see anything like for Law and Order?" There's a funny joke that people who become real famous at some point have mm-hmm. been on Law and Order. True, and <laughs> but they'll ask you on there if you've been on Law and Order. They want to know when was the last time you were there Mm -hmm. because they've had reoccurring characters who may have only been extras, but just keep showing up, showing up, showing up. But Mm -hmm. there has to be a certain amount of time in between because it will look odd if you were in episode one and then you show up again in episode four playing a whole nother part. Exactly. You're like, wait a minute. Wasn't he the dead person that they found? (laughs) He died already. Why he back? So I like, I like that. That he put that mm-hmm. part in there. But I especially like the conversation that he had between him and a black woman who was also, they're kind of like in this, like, I don't know, green room space, yeah. drinking the, coffee. The extra, the extra, the extras rooms or yeah. something like that. And they're, you know, she's talking to him about how, you know, we should get our own, our own show and we can call it Black and Yellow. Yes. 
And he was like, yeah, what will I be? And she's like, oh, you would be like, what? I think like a... An ex-CIA guy. And she would be a supermodel mom. With four kids, but handling it all by myself. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, oh, that would be great. But him knowing that would be something that would never happen. Never. And he used the word never. Not even maybe, but Mm -hmm. never. And I found it interesting because that was the only mention of the black girl Mm -hmm. she never pops back up anywhere in the story Mm -hmm. um the only time we do have a black person is in the cop show the black and white and it's a he's a head detective and Mm -hmm. then um the fact that you know when you look at where black women and asian men are in relationship to each other in in our real in our real world um, it makes me harken back to uh, Issa Rae's book that she had written, The Miseducation of an Awkward Black Girl, where she has an entire chapter dedicated to <laughs> wanting black women and Asian men to hook up. To get because together. They, because they're seen as like the lowest a part of the total dating totem pole uh, because of all of these negative stereotypes that have been laid upon them. Um and I really, it just made me automatically remember that part of the book. And I'm like, this is so true of yeah. like how you cannot be seen in this country, be it on television or in, in real life of seen as a person of value because someone attaches these negative stereotypes to you. And it's hard to undo them because if you've been stereotyped of being funny and you have been emasculated for like centuries Mm -hmm. that's so hard Mm -hmm. to undo and so that is why you know i think when when the when shows like fresh off the boat um mr kim's convenience like shows in like you know the food network or whoever like david chang shows up and even fucking bts like who would have thought that those boys looking half like you know they're not conforming to like like how One Direction looked like, like very masculine, like polished and stuff like that, or like rugged. They're prettier than me, <laughs> and yet they would s- <laughs> they would sell out stadiums. Mm. Like that, people that like you know American artists didn't even do. Mm-hmm. So what is what is really the definition of like what what is beautiful or what is handsome or what what should you look like when you date somebody? It's kind of like just the, I I don't know, like the epitome of like being in your face. I'm like, oh, they made it. Then now what? What did, what does it say about your standards or your stereotypes? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So this book has definitely been one that has, is, is just like an onion. It has so many different layers to it. And every time you... You know, we read the book, and then we have to reread the book to talk about the book. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm just being real right here. So, in all our business, <laughs> there there are times when you kind of just like have to like read read through it again to be able to know what it really is to give justice to the book. Mm-hmm. And every when I was reading this book, and I'm just like, damn, I missed that part. I'm like, yeah, that's right. You know. And then I'm like, I'm not as confused from the first time I read it, <laughs> which is which is nice because it's it's kind of like a new book altogether. 
and I think it was a good a good start for the year 2021 to be like be informed mm-hmm. be smart and change. do better and yeah do better yeah do better so we want you all to do better in 2021 and that means stick with us we're yeah. doing we're doing big things and we want you to come with us and read these books um as we start this new year um I think that the only present that you should give to your loved ones this year are books. Yeah. We we need to become back into a, a become a society that that, that reads, reads again. That reads cuz like, wants information. Cuz like reading is from people that have experience. You know, the stories that you read are from people's experiences. It can never be like contrived. The, these are like real life in like stories. So what better way of like experiencing other people's, you know, plights and injustices and learning things, yeah. learning new things about places that you've never been, learning new people. It helps expand your mind. Yes, reading is fundamental. You know, reading are can be like really great gifts, and also if you go on our link tree and vulgar geniuses, in Instagram, um, you can go to our merch. And get you some cute hoodies. So if you don't read, you shirt. can wear a shirt <laughs> and pretend like you read. Be like, look at the books I read that's on the back of this hoodie. Yeah, we have like tanks for the summer. Get your exercise on, you know. Yes. We got mugs. We got duvet covers. Everything that you would need for your house, your home, your life. Yeah, so, so better your home and your life and yourself. And definitely your bed because you... You want those those rug fleece blankets nestling you in at night. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So visit visit our visit our Instagram. You'll see in our link tree, um, vulgar geniuses vulgar genius book club. Um, you'll see all our episodes there. You'll see our merch. And if you don't have Instagram, go to our website. We, we have built a website. an entire website that has a blog. Yes. We have a blog now. We're starting new things, being better people. Yeah, and on that blog, our first blog is done by the lovely Denny. She uh, did a review on Exit West. Yeah, Exit West is really good. It's a good book. It's a love story, first and foremost, but it's also about refugees. And if you want that long version of that review she just gave, go to www.vulgargeniusesplural.com. Vulgargeniuses.com. So, yeah, with all with all of that information, you go into the world and do better. And wear a mask. Wash your hands. Be safe. We have a new president. Woohoo! <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Instagram at Vulgar Geniuses Book Club. Our theme song was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Sean Dammit. That's spelled S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. See you next time. Deuces.